Welcome to The Rocks Podcast. In today's podcast, Pastor Jim takes us to the first chapter of Mark's Gospel with a soul-stirring message entitled, A Day in the Life of Jesus. In each incident, we see the power and authority of God's Son at work and find great encouragement in this. Here now is Pastor Jim Semish. All right. All right. I'd like to welcome everybody back to your seats. like to welcome everybody back to your seats. Well, before we begin, I would like to say this. It's good to be in church, amen? Yeah. Amen, awesome. Well, there are a group of people today in the church who are going to be leaving for the Gleanings for the Hungry mission trip. Gleanings is a ministry that dehydrates fruit, packages it up, and then ships it around the world to missionaries who are spreading the gospel. And so our team is going to go and work in the peach factory all week long for the glory of God. And so they're leaving today. And so if you're going on that trip, I'd like you to stand up right now, please. Is anybody going on the trip? Let's be sure to keep our brothers and sisters in prayer throughout the week, and we'll pray and ask the Lord's blessing on you right now. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your gospel, which is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You use your gospel to change lives and to change destinies, and we're thankful for gleanings this ministry, unique ministry that you have raised up to impact the world. And we're thankful for our brothers and sisters here who are just sanctifying this entire week for the purpose of spreading your gospel, of being useful in getting that message out. And so we pray that you would bless them, that you would fill them with your spirit, and that you would use them mightily, use them to make an impact that will have a ripple effect throughout the entire globe. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. Well, it's always an honor and an incredible privilege to be able to to stand up here in the shoes of our beloved Pastor Ross. Isn't he the most amazing and powerful and anointed preacher you've ever heard? I just feel so blessed to get this honor and privilege. Now, The young adults group, we've been studying through the gospel of Mark, and so we're going to take a look at one of those studies this morning. And so why don't you go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, Mark chapter 1, and while you're doing that, I'm going to pray and ask the Lord's blessing. Heavenly Father, we praise you, and we thank you so much for your word. Your word is inspired, it's, it's powerful, and you use it to speak to your people. You use it to feed your sheep, to build us up, to equip us, to train us, to correct us, to rebuke us for the works that you have for us. 
And my prayer, Heavenly Father, is that you would use my simple little message and your powerful word and, and your spirit would fall and move in this place and, and, and our hearts would be changed. Our, our lives would be impacted and we would walk out of here different. We would walk out of here moved to live more deeply for you, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in your name that we pray. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, I was curious as to who the world's most powerful people are. And so I went to the Forbes list, the world's most powerful people. And I have accumulated a list of the top six most powerful people on the face of the planet. Okay? Let's see if you can anticipate who's coming down the line. Number six, Bill Gates, the sixth most powerful man in the world. Number five, Angela Merkel, the chancellor for Germany. Number four, Pope Francis. Number three, okay, this one's really hard to say. So, Xi Jinping, the general secretary for the Communist Party over there in China. That was really hard. Number two, this might be a surprise to some of you, President Barack Obama. Really? And number one, the number one, according to Forbes' list, most powerful person on the face of the planet, Pastor Adam Wilson, Calvary Chapel, The Rock. Just joking. Vladimir Putin, okay? (laughs) Now, powerful people. Imagine the power that these people possess. They make decisions that impact the entire globe. Their decisions affect the entire world. So imagine that kind of power. Now imagine their schedule. These people are busy. They're ruling the nations. They're ruling the masses. And so in my mind, they don't really have time for the individual. They don't have time for you and for me. It's not like I could get on the horn and call up President Barack Obama and say, hey, you want to go golfing this afternoon? (laughs) Or President Obama, would you like to go street preaching later on after the church service? It's not going to happen. These people are busy, busy, busy. Now, there's one person that the Forbes list forgot to mention, the true number one world's most powerful person, and that is the man Christ Jesus. You see, Jesus, he has more power and more authority than all of those leaders combined. Matter of fact, the Bible says he is the ruler of the entire universe. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 17, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 says that he holds the universe together by the word of his power. If Jesus wasn't holding this place together, it would just come unraveled at the scenes. Now, here's what sets Jesus apart from all of these other leaders. He is not too busy for you. You are not just a number to Jesus. He deeply cares about you. He's deeply concerned for you and for me. And that's what we're going to see in our text as we spend a day in the life of Jesus. We're going to see him use his power and use his authority and use his time to make a difference in the life of an individual, 
to make a difference in the life of a person just like you and just like me. And my hope and what I've been praying for is that we would realize that Jesus Christ is still doing this today. Yes, 2,000 years ago, he was here and he died on the cross for our sins, but he came back from the dead and he lives forevermore and he wants to touch your life in this place here today. And having that realization that you would let him do that. Amen? So, Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 34. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about Jesus spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her by the hand and helped her up and the fever left her and she began to wait on them. And that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. So we are going to spend a day in the life of Jesus. So we just went with Jesus in the morning to the synagogue and we saw how he taught with authority, with a power, with an authority that shocked the people. And then after synagogue, we went with Jesus to lunch over to Peter's house where his mother-in-law was sick with the fever and we saw Jesus heal Peter's mother-in-law. Afterwards, we followed Jesus where he ministered late into the evening, healing people and casting out demons. Jesus Christ was a servant of all. Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for all. And we can see that right here. Now, these 13 verses that we just covered cover a 12 to 15 hour day in the life of Jesus in which we, sh- we saw him showcase and display his power and his authority in his teaching. We, sh- we saw him showcase and display his power and his authority in dealing with the evil in our lives. And we see him showcase and display his power and authority in healing sickness and disease. And so let's talk first about the display of his power and authority in his teaching. And so Jesus is there in Capernaum. And we've been there. We went there last year when we went to Israel. It's a fishing village on the northeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was Jesus' headquarters. So he's there, and he goes into the synagogue. A synagogue was an assembly 
We don't really read about them in the Old Testament. Scholars believe that they came into existence during the Babylonian exile. The Jews wanted to preserve their history and their culture and their identity in that foreign land. And so the synagogue was birthed. Now, so, so basically a synagogue is a Jewish community center. And on the Sabbath day, prayer took place and the proclamation of God's word. Wherever there were 10 Jews, a synagogue was formed. And so really, synagogues were all over the place. Now, synagogues did not have a formal pastor like we have at The Rock, Pastor Ross. They had a synagogue ruler. And one of this man's responsibilities was to make sure that at each Sabbath service, there was a rabbi who was going to preach and teach the word of God. And so Jesus was a rabbi and the apostle Paul was a rabbi. And that's why they get so many opportunities in the New Testament to teach in the synagogues because the ruler was looking for a teacher. Now, when Jesus opened his mouth, the text tells us here that the people were amazed. And that word amazed means to expel by a blow. In other words, when they heard the teaching of Jesus Christ, these people were knocked out of their seats. The teaching of Jesus Christ blew people out of their minds. They were absolutely amazed. The first time I went to Calvary Chapel, Petaluma, brand new Christian, just got saved, walk in the doors of the church, sit down, Pastor Zach Vesti is a young man, I was amazed at how young he was, and he gets up there, and he opens the Bible, and he begins to teach about Jesus, and I had the same experience that is being spoken about here in this text, I was blown away. Because I was hearing the voice of God speak to me through a man. I literally felt like I was being knocked out of my seat. Now imagine yourself in the shoes or in the seat of one of those individuals there 2,000 years ago in that synagogue. You're sitting there, you're coming just to your traditional weekly Sabbath service, waiting for the rabbi. Who's the speaker this week? Is he any good? And up gets Jesus. (laughs) Little did they know that their teaching in front of them was no ordinary man. Oh no, that this was the God man. Those brown eyes, that Jewish man, when he opened his mouth, that was God speaking to them. God in a human body, the same God who created the universe, Genesis chapter one and verse one. In the beginning, God said, and then it was. That's the God who spoke to them in the synagogue that day. No wonder they were blown away. No wonder they were amazed. Now, Pastor Ross, an incredible pastor. I love this guy. His teachings blow me away. His teachings knock me out of my seats. They've changed my life. And I've started thinking about it. What is it about Pastor Ross's sermons that are always amazing me? always blowing me away. Is it his humor? Because he's really funny. Okay, right? (laughs) I'm not funny. Ross is funny. Is it his intelligence? Is it his wit? Is it his wisdom? What is it about Pastor Ross that is blowing my mind and amazing me week after week? And I figured it out. It's not Pastor Ross's teaching. 
It's the teaching of Jesus Christ that he is giving to us. And so when Ross teaches, I'm hearing Jesus speak through him and I am being knocked out of my chair and blown away. Amen? Amen. So the people were amazed when Jesus spoke because he spoke with authority. It says that he didn't speak like the teachers of the law. The rabbis and the scribes and the Pharisees, when they got up and spoke, they were quoting all of the rabbis. They were quoting from the Mishnah, which is a collection of all of the oral teachings from the rabbis of old. They would get up and say, well, you know, Rabbi Halal says you should do this, and, and Rabbi Adam says you should do that. So and it was just a, a big collection of quotations. But Jesus, he didn't do that. No, 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 no. When Jesus got up, He spoke with authority. And so he gets up and he says, I say unto you, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. That is authoritative. That is bold. Could you imagine if I stood up here today in front of you and said, unless you believe that I am the Messiah, that I am the Savior, that I am the Son of God, unless you believe that you're going to die in your sins. That is an authoritative and bold statement from the mouth of Jesus. He said things like this, Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Learn from me. Take my yoke upon you. It is easy and light. I am gentle and humble and I will give you rest for your souls. Jesus is promising to all of humanity, I am the source, I am the source, I am the solution to all of the problems that you have in this life. I can give you rest for your soul. Now imagine if I stood up here and said that to you. I can give you rest for your soul. Anyone on the face of the planet, you come to me, you believe in me, I will give you rest. What are you, anxious, you're depressed, you're worried, you're overwhelmed? Come to me. I'll take care of that. I am the solution. Come. You see the authority and the power and the boldness when Jesus spoke? How about this? John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes on me, even though he dies, yet shall he live. And he that lives and believes on me shall never die. Wow, that is bold and authoritative. He's promising that anyone on the face of the planet, if you put your faith in him, he will raise you from the dead and you will have eternal life. Imagine if I said that to you. Believe in me and I'll raise you from the dead and give you eternal life. You would think I was nuts, okay? Jesus spoke with authority and he spoke with boldness and he could do that because he has the power to back it up and he always did. Remember, John chapter 11, after he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes on me, even though he dies, yet shall he live. And he says, I want to prove that I have the power and the authority to do this. He's standing there in front of the tomb of Lazarus, who's been dead for four days. He says, take away the stone. Four days. The body's decaying at that point. And then he says, Lazarus, come out. And he hops out of the tomb. You see, Jesus backs up his statements. You remember the story 
of the man who was paralyzed. And his four friends wanted to bring him to Jesus because they knew Jesus had the power to change his life. And so they rip a hole in the roof because there's no way for them to get to Jesus. There's so many people around him. So they rip a hole in the roof and they lower this this man down at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus looks at this man and he says, your sins are forgiven. Wow, that's a powerful statement. That's an authoritative statement. That's something that only God could say. And that's what the people all around were thinking. Who does this dude think he is? Only God can forgive sins. If I said that to you, you would think the exact same thing that those people thought that day. And so Jesus wanted to back up his statement. He wanted to back up his bold claim. He says, what is easier to do? To say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your mat, and walk. It's a lot easier to say your sins are forgiven, but I want to prove to you that I actually have the power and the authority to forgive sins by doing something that in your mind is exponentially more difficult, and that is healing a paralyzed man. He says, get up, take up your mat, and go home, and boom, the guy gets up, takes up his mat, and walks out the door. Jesus always backs up his authoritative claims. I remember 10 years ago when I heard my grandmother telling me about Jesus. I was at a very low place in my life because of the bad decisions that I had made. I was without God, and I was on my way to death or jail. My grandmother told me about Jesus Christ, and she said, he can give you a brand new life. He can make streams in your desert. You can become a brand new person, a brand new creation, if you will believe in Jesus Christ. So there was the authoritative claim and offer. Jesus said to me, I'll give you a new life. And I believed that, and 10 years later, my testimony is unbelievable. I can't even believe that I came from the life that I did because how much of a difference Jesus has made to me. You see, Jesus always backs up his claims. And just a little shout out to those of you here who might not know the Lord. Jesus can change your life just like he did mine. He promises a new life. He promises a new beginning. He promises a new heaven if you will simply take him up on his offer through faith in him. And so I would encourage you to do that. So Jesus' words, (laughs) authoritative. And so as Christians, we should be a people who embrace the word of God, Come underneath the word of God. Allow the word of God to dwell in us richly, as Colossians says. We should become Bible addicts. And in so doing, we will be a recipient of all of the blessings that come with knowing and obeying the word of God. It's amazing to me how many Christians don't read the Bible or have never read through the entire Bible because you're missing out on so many promises that God has for you. You're not taking them up on his offer because you don't know what he's offering. You see, the Christian life should be one where you're blown away and you're amazed at all that God is doing. But if you don't, Know the teaching of Jesus. If you're not sitting in the synagogue like those people, you're never going to be knocked out of your chair. Amen? Amen. So first, Jesus demonstrates his power and authority in his teaching. And then secondly, he demonstrates his power and authority in handling the evil in our lives. 
So there's a guy there in church, in synagogue, right? And he is possessed by an evil spirit. He'd been coming there, no doubt, for some time, but nobody had any idea that he had an evil spirit. I mean, nobody knew his deep, dark secret. How long had he been coming to synagogue without experiencing that transformation? How long had he been coming without being changed, without being delivered, without being set free? I mean, he had been listening to the teachings of those rabbis for some time, but they weren't speaking with authority They were speaking other people's opinions. Well, maybe if you do this, and and maybe if you do that, and oftentimes it was contradictory. They weren't pointing people to the truth of God's word. And it wasn't until this man heard the teaching of Jesus Christ that he had, it wasn't until then that he received the opportunity to be rescued from his evil. Now, I want to take a second to talk about evil spirits because evil spirits are real according to the Bible. So according to the word of God, at one time, uh, these evil spirits, we call them demons, existed in heaven as angels, worshiping God and praising God. And then one of these, the prince of the demons, Satan, He wanted to usurp God's throne. He wanted to be God himself. He wanted the praise. He wanted the worship. He wanted the acknowledgement. He wanted the adoration. And so he led one third of the the angels to try to take over God's throne, but they lost, okay? And so God, God cast them out of heaven and they are condemned forever. They have the sentence of death hanging over their heads, in the lake of fire. But temporarily, they are operating in this world and their objective is to lead people away from Jesus Christ. Now, it seems throughout the scriptures that these invisible evil spirits, these entities, are uncomfortable without a body. It seems that they want to possess a body. You remember this story that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 12 about how this evil spirit, after it was expelled from a man, it went around to arid places seeking rest, but it couldn't find any. It was uncomfortable. And so it thought to itself, I'm going to go back to my home. And so it takes with it seven other evil spirits and goes back to its home or that individual. The evil spirit wanted a home. It was uncomfortable without a body, without a host. You remember when Jesus went to Gadara and there was a man there possessed by a legion of demons. And Jesus is in the process of casting out that legion of demons. And the demons speak to Jesus and beg Jesus if he will send them into the swine. Send them into the pigs. They didn't want to be without a host, without a body. So they're looking to possess, looking for a host, it seems. That's what the scripture teaches. Now, how do people get possessed by demons? It's an interesting question, is it not? Well, I believe that people open the door of their hearts. You remember Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. And if you'll open up, I'll come in and we'll sup together. And so Jesus is saying, hey, I want to come in. 
If you'll believe in me, my Holy Spirit will come inside and live within you. And so that's an invitation that Jesus has to us. So I believe it also works in the other way, that we have a door to our heart and people can allow evil spirits to come within through false religions or drugs. For example, when I went to India, the main religion over there is Hinduism. Hinduism, there's 300 million, five, I mean, millions and millions of gods. And when you walk the streets in India, literally, everywhere you look, everywhere you turn, you will see an idol. The little statue, just like you imagine, just like you read about in the Bible. You'll see people outside giving their offerings, bowing down, saying their prayers to these little statues, kissing them, all of those sorts of things. We went to a church service out in the jungle, and I've told you guys this before, but it's a crazy story, so I'm going to share it again. We went out to a church service, and at the end of the message, there was an altar call. And the, the pastor asked for people who wanted to receive prayer to stand up. And then we were instructed to go out into the crowd and pray for the people individually who were standing And so I went out into the crowd and there was a lady standing there and she had her eyes closed and her hands like this and I came up and I placed my hands on her shoulders and I began to pray. And as I started to pray in the name of Jesus, her hands came up and she placed her hands on my shoulder. And then all of a sudden, one of her hands came off of my shoulder and kind of went like this and then she, it looked like she was fainting or falling down, okay? Doing this sort of thing. And the first thought that came into my mind is, my goodness, this lady is having a seizure right here, right now, out in the jungle. What am I going to do? Okay? And so I help her down to the ground, and she's flopping, and it's getting getting more intense, like a fish, like a trout right out of the water. And she goes down onto the ground, and I'm like, what do I do? And then she starts shrieking and screaming and flopping around, and it's at that moment that I realized this isn't a seizure. This woman is possessed by a demon. I'm not a demon hunter. I don't go looking for demons. I'm not looking at everybody and say, they got a demon, they got a demon, I got to cast them. That's not me. It's the first time I've ever seen anything like this and been able to say beyond a shadow of a doubt, that's a demon possession. Pastor Ross was right there and he said, yes, absolutely, no doubt. She had opened her heart up to be possessed by a demon through this false religion of Hinduism, myself. The night that I came to know Jesus Christ, I was sitting in an RV. My life was destroyed by drugs. And my friend and I were comparing my life with my dad's life. And we're like, wow, your dad was a drug addict, Jim. And you're a drug addict, Jim. And your dad was a criminal. And and you're a criminal, Jim. And your dad committed murder. What's going to happen to you, Jim? It was a weird conversation. We were drinking and, and we came to the conclusion that It was a weird conversation. We came to the conclusion that, now bear in mind, I didn't have a Christian background, no theology, nothing about God, no church history, nothing. But we came to the conclusion that the same evil spirits that were working in my dad's life were now also working in my life. It was so similar, it was eerie. And then all of a sudden, my friend mentioned something about God. I had no, I can't remember what he said. He said something about God. And I started laughing hysterically, uncontrollably. But the weird part about it is I didn't want to laugh. I was scared. And as I was laughing uncontrollably, I was expressing to him, bro, I don't want to laugh. This is not me. 
It's as though, I can't say for sure, something was laughing through me. So demon possession happens. People can open their hearts to demons to be possessed. So listen up, non-Christian. The goal and the objective of Satan and the demons is to steal from you, not your material possessions, but to steal from you the opportunity to receive the gift of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. The goal and the objective of Satan and his demonic forces is to kill you, to to lead you away from true life, which is found in Christ. The goal and the objective of Satan is to lead you to eternal destruction in the lake of fire. Is that what you want? Do you really want to be robbed of God's gift of eternal life because of a wicked and evil spirit? That doesn't have to happen to you today. You see, Christians can not be possessed by demons. So what needs to happen to you today if you're in here and you hear my voice and you're a non-Christian, you've never given your life to the Lord, you've never been born again, what needs to happen today is you need to have an experience with Jesus like the man in the synagogue had. Jesus said, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Christians cannot be possessed by demons because we are possessed and indwelt by the Holy Spirit of the living God which comes through faith in Jesus. That's what you need. You need to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit and that comes through believing in Jesus Christ. So if you're here today, just another little shout out and another little altar call. Give your life to the Lord. Allow the Holy Spirit of God to come in. Now, Precious believers, yes, we cannot be possessed by demons. That's what the Bible teaches. You're safe and you're sound. But you can be influenced by Satan. You can be led astray by Satan when you ignore the word of God, when you ignore the authoritative teaching of Jesus, when you turn your ear the other way, when you turn your eyes the other way, and you begin to live in sin. When you do that, you are giving the devil a foothold in your life. A foothold is a secure position from which further progress may be made. Do you get that? So maybe you're here today, brother and sister in the Lord, and you have a secret, like the man in the synagogue, a secret that that nobody else here knows. You've been coming to church week after week with your secret, week after week, hiding, living in your sin, dealing with that evil. Nobody here knows. There's one person who knows, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the one who can deliver you from that secret. He can deliver you from that evil in your life. What did he say to that man? What did he say to the evil in that man's life? Quiet, come out of him. Jesus wants to silence the evil in your life. He wants to expel it from your life, but you have to allow him. And so my exhortation to you, brothers and sisters, is during the worship time, when the songs are going on, cry out to the Lord in prayer. Give your sin to the Lord. Lay it at the feet of the cross. Ask Jesus Christ to set you free. He is the great and mighty deliverer. Amen? Amen. 
All right, so first we see the power and the authority of Jesus demonstrated in his teaching. And then we see the power and authority demonstrated in how he handles evil in our lives. And thirdly, we see his power and authority in how he heals sickness. Now, Dr. Klein, don't take this personal. Where are you? But I don't like doctor's visits. That's probably why I don't go very often, you know. I just feel it's very impersonal. You're probably not like that, Dr. Klein. I don't even know where you are. <laughs> Anyways, uh, they're my doctor. That's how I feel. You know, they got the clipboard. They come in with the clipboard. You know, you're in the waiting room forever, and then you go in there, and you're sitting in the room all by yourself forever, this sterile, just quiet, just eerie place, you know. The doctor comes in, and he's got the reflex hammer, and he pops on your knee. It's just like, I'm not even doing that. It's just weird. And then, you know, and he's got all the gidgets and the gasmos. They're shoving up your nose and in your ear, and they got the little stick, of, ah, you know. I just, I don't like it. <laughs> right? You guys get that? Yeah. But, you know, I love the way that Jesus heals. He's the great physician, you know. The power and the ability to heal not only the body, but more importantly, the soul. And so Jesus goes over to Peter's house and his mother-in-law is there sick with a fever. And and Jesus, just so tender and so compassionate, reaches out his hand, he touches her, he takes her by the hand, he lifts her up, and she's absolutely healed. I love the way that Jesus does that. Now, I want to say something. This is why I, when I pray for sick people, because of this story, I do not command sickness to leave. When I'm praying for someone, I'm not commanding sicknesses to leave. I'm asking Jesus to come and touch that individual. I'm not praying over a person, you know, cancer, I command you, cancer. I'm talking, who, who am I talking to? Cancer, I command you to leave in the name of Jesus. Right? Ingrown toenail, I command you to leave. <laughs> In the name of Jesus. Baldness, I command you to leave in the name of Jesus. Flu, I command you to leave in the name of Jesus. No, that's ridiculous. I don't have the power. I don't have the authority to command sickness to go away. But I see someone in this story who does. And that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so when I'm praying for someone who's sick... I am just asking Jesus, Lord Jesus, you love this person. And so I see in the Bible you coming up to people and placing your hands on them because you care for the individual. And so I pray, Lord, that you will come and you will touch this person and you will heal them. And then I end with, nevertheless, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. You see, I do believe that Jesus heals today. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Matter of fact, on Wednesday night, a brother came up to me and he told me about uh, another person in the congregation who had something happen to, to her and she had a migraine for eight or nine days and he asked, can we pray for her? And I said, sure. And so we're just out in the lobby and we just prayed and asked Jesus to do something. And at the end of the service, the gal had come to church that night, on this Wednesday night, she came up afterwards and said, my migraine is gone. I came to church with the migraine, but I left and now it's gone. Jesus Christ does heal today. But I do not believe that Jesus Christ heals all people every single time in this life. I do not believe that. That's a mystery to me. 
Why does Jesus choose to heal some people, but other people have to bear up under the weight of their infirmity and under their sickness? I don't know. That's in the secret counsel and will of Almighty God. There are some people who teach that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, not only did he purchase for us the forgiveness of all of our sins, but also the healing of all diseases in the body in this life. They quote Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 5, by his stripes, by his wounds, we are healed, Pastor Jim. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 17, he took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. You see? The scripture teaches right there that your healing is guaranteed. It's promised because Jesus died on the cross. All sickness, all disease in your body paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. All you have to do is claim it. All you have to do is believe it and pray enough and then it is yours. I absolutely reject that teaching. Romans chapter 8 In verse 23, Apostle Paul says, we are eagerly awaiting the redemption of our bodies. You see, the application of those promises of no more disease, no more sickness, no more hardship in the body is for our future glorified, resurrected body that Jesus purchased for us on the cross. You see, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that this body that we live in is perishable. But the body that we have awaiting for us is imperishable. This body, dishonored. That body, glorified. This body, weak. That body, powerful. This body, natural. That body, a spiritual body. The body that we live in right now is a tent. A tent is a temporary dwelling It breaks down, it gets holes in it, it wears out. It's not meant to be lived in forever. But then Paul goes on to tell us, God has prepared for us an eternal house in the heavens. An eternal house is something that you you move into and you settle down in. You see, this body, even if Jesus were to heal you of whatever sickness or disease that you have today, eventually you're still gonna get old. Your your body's still going to break down. Your hair's going to fall out, maybe. Your teeth are going to decay. You're going to get hangnails. Things are going to happen in this life, okay? This body is a temporary body, but the body that Jesus Christ purchased for us on the cross, the glorified spiritual body, that body, no sickness. That body, no pain, no anxiety, no depression, no sorrow, nothing of the sort purchased for us by the blood of Jesus Christ. So yes, if you're sick, come. We will pray for you. Come over to the cross and receive prayer. We'll ask Jesus Christ to come and to lay his hands on you and to heal you, and perhaps he will. But at the very least, Jesus Christ, when he touches you, he will give you the power and the strength to persevere and to stand up under the weight of what you are going through because he has a good purpose and intention for everything that we have to endure in this life. And so yes, come and get prayer, but nevertheless, his will be done, not ours. Amen? Amen. Now, 
If you'll permit me, I just want to read one final verse, okay? Verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, how is your relationship with the living God? How is your relationship with the living God? You see, Jesus had just finished a a 12 to 15 hour day, starting early in the morning and then going all through the day, through the night, till perhaps one or two in the evening. And then he gets up very early in the morning. I mean, what's the last thing on your mind after a super long day? Getting up early before anyone else and seeking God in prayer, right? I mean, in my mind, what I want to do after a super long day and super long night, go home, sleep in, turn off the alarm clock, watch TV, lounge around in my pajamas, eat food, a little R&R, amen? Amen? But not Jesus. See, Jesus, Jesus wanted to make sure that in the midst of his busyness, in the midst of the madness of his schedule and what he was doing, that he didn't neglect the most important relationship in his life. And that was his relationship with God the Father. He spent the whole day with other people with no opportunity to commune with the one that he loves most. And so what does Jesus do? What does our great example do? He creates an opportunity. He makes time. He makes his relationship with God his number one priority, even though no doubt it would cost him because he was going to be tired the next day. Now, to me, this is very convicting every time I read it because I'm so busy. I have, I've been complaining to my wife a lot. She can testify to that. I have a wife, amazing, beautiful wife. I have three kiddos and they're all, I got a junior higher. I mean, that speaks for itself, right? I have a, (laughs) sorry, Alec. I had, I have a full-time job I have four Bible college classes that are semester long, but they're condensed down into eight weeks, okay? Outreaches, mission trips, all sorts of exploits that are God-centered. And on top of all of that, I'm moving right now, (laughs) right? So what I have discovered in the midst of the madness and the busyness of my own schedule is if I don't spend time with God, and I've learned this the hard way, if I don't create time, if I don't make him the number one priority in in my life, even though I'm doing all of these things in the name of God, if I'm not connecting with him in a personal way, seeking him in prayer, getting in his word just simply to hear from him, then I am the one who pays the price. I am the one who misses out. My family is the one who pays the price. The people are around The people around me are the ones who pay the price because when I connect with God, something happens there. I'm infused. I'm transformed. I am changed. Amen? Amen. So how's your relationship with the Lord in the midst of your busyness, in the midst of the madness of your schedule? Are you making time for the Lord? Are you making opportunities for you to connect with him in prayer and in the word of God? Because this same Jesus 
who went around doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil 2,000 years ago is still doing that today and he wants to minister into your life today. He wants to minister to you through his authoritative word. He wants to transform your life. He wants to minister to you in dealing with the evil in your life, delivering you from sin and and perhaps giving you salvation if you don't know him. And he wants to minister to you as the great physician bringing just the right touch to your life. You see, Jesus wants to minister to each and every single one of us today. But the question I want to leave you with is this. Will you let him? Will you let him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your word. So powerful, so authoritative, so able to to transform our lives. We're thankful, Jesus, that you want to minister to us. We see how you minister to those people through your word and you dealt with their evil and you dealt with sickness and and you can do that today in our lives. You care for us. You bled for us. You died for us. And so my prayer, Father, is that you would help us to allow you in, to allow you to minister to each and every single one of us. Father, we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, let's stand for the closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.